Hello and welcome to the Kleinwort Hamburg's Wealth Chat. We are a private bank, and in this chat, we will be demystifying the world of finance. Why does this all matter, and why does it specifically matter to you? All the things that you wish you knew but didn't ever have the nerve to ask. This is your chat. My name is Fahad Kamal, Chief Market Strategist at Kleinwort Hamburg's. This is what's coming up in today's episode. I think what's happening is we're seeing some of the value add of private banks changing, or at least the portions of what private banks do, where where clients receive the most value is changing. Many of us with more straightforward financial affairs could well start to see the development of tools that don't deal with the idiosyncratic and the more complex affairs that we tend to deal with here on a day-to-day basis. My name is Fahad Kamal. I'm Chief Market Strategist at Kleinwood Hambras, a London-based private bank. I'll be hosting today's episode. Joining me is Paul Kearney, our Head of Private Banking, and Jean Salerno, our Chief Digital Officer. Hi, Paul. Hi, Fahad. You are in charge of the relationship element of, of what we do as a private bank? I'm responsible for the provision of all of our services to our clients, whether that's through digital channels or face-to-face. Now, it's a, it's a sort of a basic question. It's taking a step back for some of our listeners who may not be aware. What exactly is a private bank and what are these services that we provide? So private banking is essentially the provision of um, a very personal service tailored to the needs of our individual clients. Typically, that's across wealth planning, investment management and the provision of banking and credit or lending. And it's fair to say that in the world in which all of these services appear to be ever closer by app or by the touch of a button on a phone, that there is a significant technological disruption to this industry. Well, on one level, there's a threat in that a number of discrete services are being provided by very specialist providers. Um, so-called disintermediation, where we're being cut out of the picture. FX transactions might be one good example, where now there are a number of fintechs that will provide very effective FX rates for you to transfer money between currencies. However, there is no solution that provides the breadth and depth that a private banking business seeks to provide to its clients. I see. Now, clearly, um, we aim to not only provide the simplicity that some of these disintermediated services provide, but also add that human element and the depth of relationship that they definitely can't. Is that, is that roughly Well, I think accurate? there's two points there, Fahad. One is the, it's not just the depth of the relationship, but it's the breadth of knowledge that we are able to achieve with close relationships with our clients. So many of the families we work with, we've been working with for more than one generation. So we have an understanding of where the wealth was created, and also how the wealth has been transferred to their heirs. Okay, I think this is probably a good part uh, for me to introduce Jean Salerno into the conversation. Hi, Jean. Hi, Fahad. How are you? Fine, thank you. So it's fair to say that the future of our industry is resting on people like you as chief digital officer. I like to think so. Clearly, technology is having a big influence on our industry, on every service industry. Private banking is no exception to that. So we're seeing, as Paul mentioned earlier, we're seeing a lot of developments, potential disintermediation. I think what's happening is we're seeing some of the value add of private banks changing, or at least the portions of what private banks do, where where clients receive the most value is changing. Sure, banks have always done transactions for clients, but what's becoming much more valuable is is our advice, our navigating uh, that financial landscape. 
And I don't think that's going away. I think that's becoming all the more important, and private banks have an important role to play within that change. I think I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, FX is one example, payments are another example, even um, stock commissions and brokerage. All of these are subject to very effective disruption by technology companies. The provision of holistic, lifelong advice is something that currently, thankfully, there is no app to replace. You know, I, I would also, I mean, maybe to get a bit more technical, but I, I think it's really interesting to think how we'll maybe see a bit of a reversal of some of the trends over the last 10, 20 years. So, you know, within private banking, um, we provide advice, but we also offer products to execute on that advice. And I think it's fair to say that clients are naturally wary of using the products that the bank itself has to offer. That's always been the case. Um, but with all the regulation that has come out, the degree of transparency and really comparability between products has meant that clients have a greater confidence in the products we offer. And there's this sort of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, conversation at the moment within the fintech or financial technology industry about the market moving towards a more disintermediated space, a more marketplace-oriented space. I would say given the transparency of products, all these other providers really just add another layer of fee. It's a, it's a third party being introduced into the mix. And so what I think you'll find is clients appreciating the convenience of the sort of one-stop shop of a private bank where we provide the holistic advice and can execute very efficiently at a fair price. That's, you know, it's really interesting. And, and you know, if I can almost summarize it by saying that that essentially we need to do both well if we want to continue to stay relevant in the industry. We need to have obviously superior depth and knowledge of our clients and their situations. But at the same time, we need to be able to execute some of the more mundane routine tasks in a more efficient, technologically scalable way. Absolutely, Fahad. But there's, there's also the balance that we need to understand. Those clients that wish to access financial services and advice digitally and those that wish to just be augmented or have their decisions supported by that versus those that have no interest in doing anything online. And we need to have the tools available that allow clients to choose the route that they wish to be served by. Actually, Paul, that's a great point. Could you, or perhaps even Gene, discuss what a typical client would look like and where they would use a more digital solution for some of their problems versus versus where that depth and experience can can shine through in a way that can't really be automated? Sure. Well, I mean, if you just think about the things that technology can enable, right? Um, you know, why do we use technology? It's not just for the sake of, it's because it's um, enhancing something or it's solving a particular problem. In the case of private banking, technology can enable us to have information more accessible where and when we need it, whether that be for the client to use on their own or for that or for their advisor to use in a meeting with them. So having that accessibility is important. Uh, clearly technology can can automate things. So to the degree that we're a highly regulated industry subject to a lot of administrative burdens, um, just to remain competitive, we need to automate a lot of that, but also to uh, keep, you know, to, to provide a, a, uh, an enjoyable experience for the client, we need to shield them from the burdens of that as much as possible. And technology has a big role to play there. I think technology um, unlocks some more complex aspects of our 
role that is much more difficult to do just by talking. So a great example, I think, is understanding risk. You know, our goal is to is to protect and conserve the wealth of our clients, and we have to also grow and invest that in accordance with their own risk tolerance. Sometimes identifying your own risk tolerance isn't as straightforward as it might appear. And having digital tools that enable individuals to explore what they would be comfortable with in terms of putting their capital at risk is very powerful. And um, Gene has been developing some very intuitive tools that allow people to get a much better sense of what risk looks like in the real world rather than just on uh, a checkbox form. I, that's, that touches on a really important point. Um, and you think about, again, the, the, what technology can do for us. Um, you know, think of, think of the, the staid way of having a meeting where you, you run through a pre-prepared document that can only contain the information that you had assumed would be right for the client. Um, instead, go to, a, go to a mode where you have all of our solutions at your fingertips in a digital format where you may go into the meeting with some, some pre-assumptions, you know, some assumptions about what uh, the client's profile is, what they're looking for, what they need. But with everything at your fingertips, you can take the conversation wherever it needs to go. You can, you can uh, derive a solution with the client in real time rather than have to iterate back and forth in a cumbersome way. And I think technology... Uh, that's a gr- that's an example of where technology can really add value to the client, um, can expedite the process, um, and lead to better results. And it's important to, to note that that's not an app. That is that is a tool that, in the right hands, can guide a client conversation to the best solution. How do we get here? Why has technology spending become such a huge part of of most banks' budgets, if not the biggest single line item? You need to think about the wider context as well in terms of, um, you know, how our clients, you know, in terms of the capabilities that our clients are expecting. And it's a, maybe it's a trite example, but I, I would think about, for example, the smartphone, right? For a lot of us, that's sort of an extension of our body now. We, you know, it's taken for granted. But, you know, the first iPhone was introduced in 2007, okay? And the ubiquity of smartphones really hasn't taken hold until, you know, very recent years. Um, and so... It's important to recognize the recency of that. Similarly, with the convenience of online shopping, while that's been around for a while, the, the sheer ubiquity of that is a very recent phenomenon, as evidenced by a number of high street retailers closing down only this year, right? So this is a very recent thing. But what's important about it is it has changed our clients' expectations of how they, they, how they get information, how they interact with their service providers. Um, the problem for us is... Those technologies that I cited, or those those developments as I cited, are mass market consumer things where the problem is relatively simple and scalable, whereas we operate in a space that is much more personalized and bespoke. Um, our clients' expectations of what service looks like have been raised, um, yet we're operating in a place where it's very difficult to, you know, stamp out cookie cutter solutions. Uh, so that's the real challenge for us at the moment. So, Paul, we've talked a lot today about solutions and digital versus human capabilities, etc. What kind of problems are we really trying to solve at the end of the day for our clients? Well, I think if we take it one step further back, if I had one of the questions really is what problems should technology help our clients and ourselves individually solve? And one obvious area for focus 
that is starting to gain significant traction is the idea of aggregation. So a lot of people have more than one bank account, maybe more than one savings account. It's very frequent that we will have more than one pension during our careers. And I think one of the holy grails of our industry is to find a way of aggregating our financial assets and being able to access them easily and simply. A lot of work has happened in the industry in the last few years. The Payment Services Directive 2, as it's snappily called, has made opening bank accounts much more straightforward for those people that will use an aggregator to access balances from different financial institutions. I think in time that will extend both to pensions and to investment accounts. So we will start to see uh, people using dashboards which access all of their financial uh, assets in one place. We see new uh, entrants into the market such as Monzo, which have a very, very quick onboarding process, 10 to 15 minutes. And for most clients, most potential clients, you'll have a bank account, Um, particularly those with legacy systems where things aren't that easy. It's not not as straightforward or as streamlined to to do client onboarding or things like that. Does that give new digital-only entrants an advantage in the in the coming in the coming world. I think it must be uh, a positive client experience to be able to onboard uh, easily. Although that's you only do that one time. I think you shouldn't confuse the ease of onboarding with the ease of doing business and the breadth of the services that you offer down the line. I think that's right. And going back to the, maybe a previous point about. Um, client expectations being set by more mass market offerings i think the you know the digital banks are a great example of that so i mean the number of times i've heard somebody say oh i've opened up a bank account in five minutes from my mobile phone and i think that's that's great but was it a bank account that had a joint ownership was it one with significant assets that would necessarily incur further due diligence because of regulatory issues let alone was it a bank account that had international provenance to the assets probably not in fact, I'm very certain it didn't. So, you know, those expectations have been raised, and those very simple use cases can be really slick. Um, but uh, whether or not these highly scalable firms will delve into the more complex remains to be seen. So it's fair to say that there's plenty of um, competitive uh, advantage in remaining a multi-service, multi-dimensional bank with plenty of human capabilities. But surely technology is going to be placing an increasingly important role in our industry going forward. How can we best marry that relationship between some of the traditional capabilities and some of the technological prowess that increasingly uh, becomes part of the landscape? Well, I, I suppose I would just look at it from the perspective of what are we trying to achieve with technology? And again, I see technology as an enabler you know, it can help deepen relationships rather than uh, sort of disintermediate them. Uh, You know, whether that's through easier access to information when you need it, uh, being able to reduce the administrative burdens, um, and therefore spend more time considering our client's personal situation. You know, technology has a role to play there. And as I say, it really deepens the relationship rather than uh, eliminates it. Indeed. And actually, Paul, you know, almost a sort of related but, but slightly trickier question for you is... Are we ever going to see private bankers or indeed private banks completely replaced by technology? I sincerely hope not. But also I think that's a very difficult um, skill set to 
turn into an application that you can access on your phone. I think what we are talking about here is a depth and a breadth of understanding of clients' individual circumstances and situations that enable them to have a dialogue with a, an investment professional and a wealth planning professional that is able to assist them to navigate the best route for their personal circumstances. Undoubtedly, there are some simple situations that could easily be uh, optimised mathematically through some form of linear programme that says, if these are your inputs, then this is the logical output. But there are so many factors that need to be brought to bear that I think it will be some time before that's uh, able to be distilled into a simple application. Financial affairs after health and family are probably the most important thing in most people's lives, and so they take them pretty seriously. And the services that people provide around others' financial affairs have always evolved. I remember reading somewhere a, a story that people are more willing to have surgery done on them by computers and robots in the future, but less willing to have computers and robots manage their financial affairs. Clearly, there's a very emotive uh, relationship and a very you know deep uh, uh, relationship that exists with finances that doesn't exist even with, with, with health. So how can we introduce technology that uh, ensure that our bankers are not replaced, but actually bolstered? You know, I'd, I'd like to think about this through the lens of our value proposition to our clients. Um, we like to think of that as being based on three key pillars, uh, service, solutions, and security. If I think about service, from a service perspective, we're doing things to improve the client's access to their information um, through enhanced mobile banking capabilities. Um, we're reducing the complexity of receiving service, in particular reducing the sheer amounts of paperwork. Uh, you know, we're reducing the turnaround time to execute things for our clients. So technology has a long way to go in terms of improving the service that we provide to our clients. At the end of the day, eliminating a lot of that allows our, our, you know, our human advisors to spend more time with our clients, understanding their needs, and ultimately providing better advice. So there's a lot of great things to be done there. Thinking about it from a solutions perspective, you know, we're introducing digital tools to help explore our solutions with clients, explore the entire range. You know, as a, rather than going to a meeting with a static paper document, you can sit down with a client, engage with them, interact with them to find the best solution in real time, help them understand and visualize what it is that you're talking about with them, uh, do a bit of what-if analysis so they can see what the difference will be. A, a common question comes up, says, well, okay, I, I understand what you're proposing with regard to these investments, but how did this perform in 08, 09 during the, you know, the global financial crisis? And, um, you know, you can talk to that, but if you can pull up, um, you know, an interactive chart right in front of them and show, well, for this particular strategy, you would have seen a pullback of around 20-odd percent, the client says, well, okay, I don't think that's for me. Fine, let's look at a less risky strategy, and you can just change it right there and then. So that's a tangible example of being able to elicit uh, the client's requirements, their, you know, their behavior when it comes to, to, to their finances, in order to hopefully settle on a more appropriate solution for them. No, that's actually incredibly powerful. I can, I can see that. And I think the tool that, that Gene's been working on and that we're rolling out at the moment has huge uh, value in helping people understand the timelines that they have to consider when investing. 
Uh, we, as an industry, always say that people should be prepared to invest for five to seven years. That's not pulled out of thin air. It's quantitatively driven by the fact that over that horizon, you are far less likely to suffer a drawdown. And again, as Jean said, if you can demonstrate that with real-world examples in front of people to explain the power of having a longer horizon in your, uh, when it comes to your investment profile, it makes life easier for everyone. And Jean, you were you were just about to to go on to that third pillar, really. So after uh, service and solutions is what's the third S? Well, security. So security, I mean, you know, maybe stating the obvious in today's digital day and age as well. Uh, you know, technology has an important role to play just in securing our clients' assets, let alone their their client information. Uh, but I think technology has a role to play as well in terms of security from the perspective of clients feeling confident in what we are offering to them, maybe expanding on some of the previous comments, you know, understanding what it is we're doing for you in greater detail, being better informed, that provides you with security regarding your, you know, your finances, being, feeling more confident that the solution we've derived for you is the, the most appropriate thing that provides you security, it provides you a greater sense of financial security. So technology, as I say, has a really important role to play across uh, the entire value proposition. So, Paul, it seems like there's an ever-evolving landscape in terms of optimal technology uh, and its deployment and how it bolsters and enhances all of the traditional services that private banks employ. What does the future hold? I think the, the future is going to look in two directions. One is going to be on security and the other is on usability. I think we are all acutely aware of technology potentially making it easier for fraudsters to make their sales visible, um, but also... Or, or invisible. True. Um, but I think the balance here is how one secures uh, individuals through you know, access, passwords, facial recognition, voice recognition, and how we ensure that we're a very usable service because those are two ends of the same spectrum if you are a very secure solution you can become slightly unusable and people will choose to do something else and if you're far too easy to access then you lay yourself open to to fraud so gene as as a chief digital officer and a former rocket scientist is that correct uh, were you a rocket scientist only my mother says that. Where do you really see the future of, of this industry and what are you most excited about? I think the introduction of different bits and pieces of technology is really bringing home uh, a greater understanding of the underlying value that we add to clients. And this under- knowing your client really well, being able to advise them expertly is so important to what we do. We can get lost in the mundane day-to-day of different transactions and executing on our services, but understanding the client is so important. And I think technology has a much greater role to play in that regard. Um, You know, there are so many details that we necessarily need to collect on our clients, whether it be, you know, opening an account, um, trying to prepare a, a wider wealth plan, or, you know, applying for a loan. There's a lot of useful information there that builds a better picture about our client and can help us advise them better. And so, Firms like ourselves will be devoting a lot more effort to putting structure to that information so that we can harness it to the advantage of our client. Two parts. One we've touched on already, which is 
we believe that the personal relationship at the heart of private banking will persist, notwithstanding it will be augmented by a number of digital tools that we will bring to bear. I guess the flip side of that is for many of us with more straightforward financial affairs could well start to see the development of tools that don't deal with the idiosyncratic and the more complex affairs that we tend to deal with here on a day-to-day basis. And I think how those uh, arise over the next few years will be a fascinating thing to watch. Jean, can I solicit you for some final thoughts? You know, we've talked about how technology is changing rapidly and, you know, it's buffeting us from all angles. Um, I think within that, private banks do still remain highly relevant. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, we provide a very personalized service, as Paul mentioned, um, personalized advice. Uh, We're also really well placed to execute on that advice. I think that's where private banks have an interesting angle to, to play and remain highly relevant. Second thing I'd say uh, is that whilst technology, uh, you know, maybe ostensibly has the potential to, to, you know, replace private banks or somehow make them redundant, um, I don't think that's the case. I think it's just reshaping how we interact with them. It's reshaping our capabilities and expanding the capabilities of what we can do for them. So from that perspective, the future is pretty bright. It's fair to say that private banks offer a range of services, some of which are highly reliant on trust and empathy things that technology finds it very difficult to replicate. And other things, such as onboarding, routine road tasks, such as execution and order placement, which technology is fabulously placed to disrupt. Getting that mix right is one of the most important questions that not only private banks, but companies across industries will be asking themselves in the years to come. That's all for this discussion. My enormous thanks to Paul Kearney and Jean Salerno. Thank you for joining us on The Wealth Chat. To make sure that you never miss an episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. I'm Fahad Kamal, and on behalf of Kleinwood Hambros, thanks for listening. This podcast is not a personal recommendation or investment advice. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. It is not intended that this podcast is distributed in or into the United States of America. This podcast is issued by the following companies in the Kleinwert Hambrus Group. In the United Kingdom by SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank Limited, which is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. In the Channel Islands by SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank CI Limited which is regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank CI Limited Guernsey branch is also regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Both entities are also authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority in respect of UK regulated mortgage business. In Gibraltar, SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank Gibraltar Limited is authorised and regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission.